I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20. You'll see there in the bulletin that I had a different text planned earlier in the week, and I tried and tried to write that sermon, and it just did not come together. I had a great idea about it, and we will certainly come back to that passage because we are in the midst of a study of the life of Abraham, and we'll do it later, but I need some more time for that thing to cook. It was well undercooked, and and I didn't want to... I don't want you to have an undercooked meal uh, this morning, spiritual meal, that is. So I wanted to turn uh, to a passage that I think would encourage all of us uh, to uh, at least a phrase that's very familiar to us. As we look at the account of Thomas's encounter with Jesus Christ. We'll, we'll begin reading in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews... Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word this morning. Doubting Thomas. Uh, it's a phrase, a characterization with which we're all probably familiar. Maybe uh, you've heard the saying, uh, don't be a doubting Thomas or something of that nature, and you didn't even realize that it was from the Bible. Uh, there's a lot of sayings in, in our culture that come from the Bible, but uh, because uh, people have gotten away from the Bible, they don't realize that those sayings are from the Bible. The term doubting Thomas comes from Scripture. But certainly, I believe that Thomas gets a bad rap by being remembered in perpetuity as Doubting Thomas. I mean, yes, he had his doubts at the beginning of the account, but by the end of the account, he's certainly not in doubt anymore. In fact, he makes the most complete and in-depth statement of faith that you will find anywhere in the Bible. He says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. 
it's such a great confession of his faith that John puts this account of Thomas at the climax of his gospel. The climax of this book is here in John 20. And it's important because verse 30 tells us that John has been very selective in what he has included in his account. So the Gospels are not uh, biographies, though they are full of biographical information. It certainly is a true account of the life of Christ, but John's purpose is not to give a full and complete running diary of every day of Christ's life. He's not writing a, a history, though everything he's written is historical. He has selected certain episodes from the life of Christ uh, because he's trying to prove a point. He's building a case, and he tells us exactly why he's doing so. He says there in verse uh, 25 of 20, or look, look at the next chapter, verse 20, 21, or chapter 21, verse 25. There are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not the, contain the books that would be written. So John was very selective in what, in what he's written. If you actually add up the, all the days that he's recorded, it's only like three weeks of Jesus' life that's actually recorded in the Gospel of John, 21 to 22 days in the life of Jesus. So John picked out and wrote down certain episodes in Jesus' life, being very selective, and he tells us why. He's got an agenda. He wants to write these, he's written these things, verse 31 of chapter 20, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, or Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He wants you to understand that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, and believe in him, trust in him, put your life in his hands so that you may have life back. And that's why we celebrate the resurrection. If we put our life in his hands, if we are united to him by faith, then we will surely have all that he gained in his life and death and resurrection. Because he's raised from the dead, we will be raised from the dead. He died uh, uh, for sin. Our sins are paid for. Our, uh, we died to sin. Uh, he lived a perfect life. That righteousness that he lived is credited to us because we are united to him. So everything that is Jesus's is ours. John wants that for you. That's what his agenda is. And he's picked certain things out to demonstrate this about Jesus so that we might have faith. So chapter 20 is the climax of the book of John. And yes, there's 21 chapters, but chapter 21 is an epilogue. He's kind of tying up some of the loose ends. You know, what happened to the disciples after this? He's tying up a few uh, uh, loose ends, and he, he's told us all that, uh, why he's written it, and wraps the book up. But chapter 20 here, at this account of so-called Doubting Thomas, this is the climax and why do you think he thought it was so important? And you know, just let me take a little side trail here for a second. If you're making this up, if you said, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and, uh, or, or you know, I encountered Jesus in my life, but he died, I want to make up a story about how he came back to life, and you know, I want to I convince people that he's still alive. If you are making this stuff up, like a lot of people claim 
uh, Christians have done through the centuries, you wouldn't write it this way. You know, you would write something, uh, at least I would, I would make Jesus like glowing and powerful and some lasers and smoke and something very cool and powerful and then, you know, booming voice and uh, incredible words that Jesus says. I wouldn't include that one of his disciples had a really hard time believing that it was really him. That all the disciples, if you read the other accounts from the Gospels, none of them could believe that Jesus was risen from the dead at first. They had to be convinced. Jesus had to argue with them a little bit. So why is Thomas's account the pinnacle of the book? Why, why is it so important, this person with doubts? And I think John is making at least two points, and I've given those two points to you in that outline if you have a copy of that. John is not reiterating to us that Thomas was a doubter, but rather that he was two things. First of all, an apostle. Thomas was an apostle, and Thomas was a Christian. And I want to highlight those two points this morning. First of all, John wants us to see that Thomas was an apostle, and there are some implications we can draw from this. Verse 19 through 23 record for us where Jesus appears to the apostles and he commissions them. Uh, They are the cornerstone of the church. He shows up in the room where they're locked. They're hiding from the Jews. They've They've put Jesus to death, their leader, and now they're worried for their own lives because they've been obviously identified with Jesus for the past three years. And so Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. You're going to go out. You're going to be my witnesses to the world. But Thomas was not there. And, and John notes that in verse 24. Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. John goes out of his way to note this fact, to inform us that, Jesus, that Thomas was indeed one of the twelve, and that he's not there with them when Jesus appears in that room. Now, we have no idea why Thomas was not there. We're just told that he's missed an important meeting. Why was this meeting so important? Look at verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. In order to be an apostle, to be one of those that were were the cornerstones of the church. You had to be a physical witness to the resurrection. If you go forward to Acts, you don't have to turn there. I think I've given it to you in the bulletin. When the apostles were placing Judas as the uh, apostle, as one of the apostles, in Acts chapter 1, they say, look, we've got to find a person to replace Judas, and one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. We are going out as witnesses to the resurrection, so if somebody's going to join us and be one of the twelve, they've got to be witnesses to the resurrection. So these are the twelve apostles. And then you've got Paul. Paul was an apostle. There are lots of apostles on TV today. You turn on some of the religious channels, especially late at night, There'll be some apostles so-and-so from this church. They're not apostles in the biblical sense. They've just taken that title upon themselves. 
A true apostle has to be a physical witness to the resurrection. You've got the disciples, this one that was chosen to replace Judas and the apostle Paul. Well, the apostle Paul came after, but he tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to Peter, he he appeared to the twelve, he appeared to 500 people, Uh, he appeared to James, to the apostles, and then last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul uh, encountered the risen Christ. He was a witness to the resurrected Christ, and that qualified him to be an apostle. So, Thomas had to physically see Jesus in order to be an apostle. Why? Why is it so important for these particular individuals to actually see the resurrected Christ? It it has to do with the nature of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. Good news. That's what the word literally means. It's news. It's something that happened. It's something that happened in time and space. You know, when you read the newspaper, at least that's the way it should be, I suppose. I'm not sure what passes as news this, this day and time is actually news. But these are events that have happened and have been written down so that we can know they happened. This gospel, this good news, is the events of Jesus' life, particularly what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. The main message of the apostles and what they were witnessing to was what Jesus did. That's very important. You know, there are many people today who say that Jesus was one of the world's great teachers. And yes, he he was indeed one of the world's great teachers. But if Christianity is simply following the teaching of Christ then there would be no reason for Jesus to die or be resurrected. It wouldn't be important. We've got all of his teachings. He didn't have to die to give us some teachings. It wouldn't have been important for Thomas or any of the other apostles to see Jesus. That would also mean that Jesus is no different than any other dead religious teacher in the world. Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, etc., The gospel is faith in what Jesus did. He accomplished something in time and space. He came and did something for us. He didn't just lay down a bunch of thou shalts and thou shalt nots for us, a bunch of rules to follow. He accomplished salvation for us. He he came on a mission, and he completed that mission. And it was confirmed when he rose from the dead. He died and rose again to achieve salvation, and he offers it to us as a free gift. So when we go out, when the apostles went out, they were saying, here's what Jesus did. Now, embrace him as your Lord and Savior so that you can have the benefit of what he has accomplished. Not, you've got to follow a set of rules in order to be acceptable to God, which is what every other religion in the world says basically. But Christianity is different because it's based on grace. Christ has secured it for you. He's accomplished it for you. You need to appropriate it by putting your faith in him and trust in him. Not in your own works, on his works, something that he did, the news of what he's done for you. That's why the apostles had to be witnesses to the resurrection because they were going out telling people what Jesus did. If they didn't see it, they couldn't be witnesses to it. 
And so that's why Thomas has to be confirmed as an apostle. As Paul said, the resurrection is of vital importance. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is the one reason, this is one reason, why John places so much importance on this episode with Thomas. He's an apostle. Apostles are the foundation of the church. See, they went out, they witnessed, and they said, look, we're telling you what's happened. Uh, I'm sharing with you the account of Jesus' life. How can you be sure that what I'm telling you is true? Jesus appeared to us. He had meals with us. We touched his, his flesh. We saw him in person. He's alive, and you can have a relationship with him. Their testimony to the resurrection is the foundation of the church. Now, the question you should be asking yourself now, today, is do you believe in the testimony of the apostles? Do you believe what they witnessed is true? Do you believe that? See, Jesus said to Thomas in verse 29, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, Thomas is rebuked by Jesus here. Why? He's rebuked because he did not believe the testimony of the apostles. The other guys had told him, we've seen the Lord. I won't believe it unless I see the, hand, see the, see the, the nail prints in his hands and the hole in his side. He refused to believe their claims. So Jesus reveals himself to Thomas. Look at my wounds, he says, and Thomas believes. Maybe you, like Thomas, are having trouble believing this today. I would say, look at his wounds. Now, you can't physically see them like Thomas had the benefit of seeing. But you can see them with your mind's eye in the words of the apostles. It's been written down for us and recorded throughout history and preserved throughout time by God's providence. And Jesus says, you will be blessed if you believe, even though you've not physically seen it. So Thomas was an apostle. But he was not just an apostle. Thomas was an incredible believer. Not a doubter, but a believer. He was a Christian. And he shows us very clearly what it means to be a Christian. When Jesus appears to Thomas and the other disciples, Jesus speaks to him personally. He said to Thomas, verse 27, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus didn't have to be told what Thomas said to the the other apostles. He didn't didn't have to, the the other disciples didn't snitch on Thomas. Well, Thomas said uh, he wasn't going to believe unless you, no, they didn't do that. Jesus knew it because he's God. He knows everything. He comes to him. He knows all about his doubts. Nobody had to tell him. And it's the same with us. Jesus knows where we're struggling to believe. He's a gracious and he's a merciful God. 
He says to Thomas, touch me, Thomas. See my scars. Do not disbelieve, but believe. There's a lot of compassion in what Jesus says to Thomas there. And it says immediately, you know, I've worked at a church in in England and, and I always use classic works of art on the cover of my bulletins. And uh, I preached on this passage before when I was there, and, uh, and I looked for some artwork. And there's always uh, pictures of Thomas actually, you know, reaching to touch Jesus' side or his fingers. But the Bible doesn't say that he actually ever touches Jesus. It just says, and he answered, and he says simply, my Lord and my God. So, It doesn't say he didn't touch him. It just doesn't say explicitly that he did touch him. And I would like to think that he didn't need to touch him. Because he he sees Christ. uh, He knows that he's understood by Christ. And he just cries out in faith, my Lord and my God. He believes. This is the highest profession of faith by any human being in the Bible. And it sums up very succinctly what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who can say with sincerity to Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. And we need to notice two things here. What Thomas says is doctrinal and it's personal. First, doctrinal. There's content to his faith. Some people say, I don't need any doctrine. You know, just give me Jesus. Well, that just give me Jesus is a doctrinal statement. There's lots of doctrines behind that. There's lots of truth behind that. It's a very broad statement of doctrine, but it's a doctrine statement just the same. Everyone who professes to be a Christian has to have doctrine. It's inescapable. After all, you have to believe something. You are believing something if you're embracing Christ. Now, people who say these anti-intellectual statements are usually reacting to hyper-intellectualism. So, fair enough. Presbyterians are sometimes guilty of that. We're all about theology, but there's no heart to it. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But what Thomas says here is great doctrine. Jesus is Lord and Jesus is God. And these things are true whether we believe them or not. You know, just because you reject Jesus as Lord and God doesn't mean it's not true. Just because somebody says Jesus didn't exist doesn't mean he didn't exist. Jesus is the Lord of Lords, the Bible says. That's a Hebrew expression. You see it uh, in, in several places in the Bible. When something is the ultimate, you know, in our day we might say it's awesome. It's the, you know, something is the greatest. We, we, we have certain words we use. Well, in Hebrew, in that language when they wanted to show something was the very best, the epitome, they said it was something of something. Lord of lords. He's the greatest lord. Uh, He's the king of kings. He's the greatest king. The Song of Solomon, a book in the Bible, is actually called the Song of Songs. It's the greatest song, the author is claiming. All throughout Scripture, Jesus is referred to as the ultimate Lord. He's the Lord of Lords. And one day, everyone's going to affirm it. Willingly or unwillingly. 
every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be no doubt anymore. Jesus is also God. He's not only Lord, but he's God. And Jesus demanded that people see him as God. He said this repeatedly throughout his life. Made statements like he did to the Pharisees. Before Abraham was, I am. And he's using God's covenant name there. And they pick up stones to kill him because they know he's claiming to be God. He claimed to be God. He was God. And Thomas affirms that. He is Lord and he's God. Those are two important doctrines. We have to have Jesus as Lord and God of our lives in order to be a Christian. But there's more to it than just doctrine, right belief. It's personal faith. See, it's not all doctrine, but it isn't, it isn't less than doctrine, but there must be heart in it. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Not just that you are the Lord and you are the God, you are my Lord and my God. Now what's he affirming here? Jesus is his Lord. He rules over Thomas's life. He is Thomas's God. Jesus is the one he worships, the one he obeys. That's what it means to be a Christian. Jesus is your Lord and your God, the center of your life, the one to whom you bow down. Everybody has something that is Lord of their life. We can't get away from that as human beings. We serve something. There is something that is most important to us, and, and, we, wor- and, and it, we worship it. And you, know, you say, oh, well, I'm, maybe I, uh, you might say, or someone might say, well, I'm, I don't worship anything. I'm, I'm not religious at all. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what you ascribe worth to. That's, that's what worship is, ascribing worth. You put value on certain things. Whatever you value the most is what you worship. Everybody values something. You get up in the morning to, do, to live your life, there's something that you value that makes you do that. Everything that you do is motivated by what you value. And a Christian is someone who values the Lord over all things. Now, because of the resurrection, you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. He can be literally and physically your Lord and your God because he is alive. You, know, you can't have an ongoing relationship with someone who, is, who has passed away, someone who's dead. You can say, I had a relationship with them, and you can even say that I, I look forward to the day when in heaven we're reunited and we can continue our relationship, but you can't really communicate with someone. And if you can't communicate with someone who's, who's dead, you can't have a real relationship with them. Because Jesus is alive, physically alive at this very moment, and because he is God, we can have a personal relationship with him. Why should Jesus be your Lord and your God? Well, look at his wounds. Back to, back to Thomas. Look at, look at what he did. You know, he's a wounded God. He understands what we're like. He understands our needs. 
He understands our suffering. He understands our pain. He understands our problems. And he's come down from his throne in heaven to earth to do something about it. He's given up his very life in order to do something about our worst problem. Divinity at our service is what we have in Christ. And when you see what he's done for you, like Thomas did, you know, it it melts your doubts away. And, you know, why wouldn't you want to serve a God like this who's willing to lay down his life for you? It makes sense. That's the kind of God, the kind of Lord that Jesus is. Look at his resurrection. Because he conquered death, we too can live forever. Now, as your Lord, he will require you to take up your cross and follow him. Sometimes it's very costly to be a follower of Jesus. It's often difficult for us to obey his commands and to follow him. But the fact of the resurrection promises that every death we experience, whether it is dying to self, which we're called to do, dying to be, trying to be autonomous and live our lives like we want to live them without reference to God, or whether it be physically dying... Because of Christ's resurrection, we are guaranteed, if we put our faith and trust in him, new life and resurrection. It's a a small thing to die to self because Christ has risen from the dead. It's a small thing to, to die for Christ physically because of the resurrection of the dead. There's something greater waiting for us, something that surpasses this very temporary, very... Uh, trivial life that we live. Maybe that's not the right word for it. Trivial, because what we do is very important in this life. The decisions that we make, especially this decision. Drop your conditions. You know, you're having trouble believing? Thomas said, I won't believe unless I touch him. But we're not told that he actually did it. He let those conditions go. Some people say, I won't believe unless this, or I won't believe unless that. Well, you're never going to get this or that. Believe what the apostles say. Trust the witness. Taste and see that the Lord is good, and he will reveal himself to you, just like he did for Thomas. May the Lord open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to his word, reveal himself to us, and may we all embrace him as our Lord and our God. Let's pray together.